Welcome back to episode seven of our podcast, Truths Explained, where we interpret and examine world truths from a Christian perspective. I'm Nicholas Tovar. And I'm Marcelo Rodriguez. And we are so excited to be with you. We have an exciting uh, podcast today planned out. And uh, because we have a special guest with us, we have none other than the Tom Buck. Tom Buck, we're so glad to have you, brother. Hey, it's good to be with you tonight. Yeah. Well, Tom Buck, for uh, many that probably don't know, um, Tom Buck and I uh, are, are very close because uh, Tom is the reason I'm the pastor at the church that I'm at. Uh, Tom spoke at our seminary, and um, there was a need in Como for a pastor at First Baptist Church. And so um, Tom looked at me and said, man, he's going to have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, nonetheless, Tom has done nothing but mentored me to get to this point and uh, has been just an absolute amazing uh, brother in the faith to encourage me and, and bring me to this point. And so I just want to thank you for that, brother. Um, Tom, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Again, I am presently the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas, and uh, I have uh, served as a senior pastor for 27 years. Prior to here, I was in Florida for a period of time. Um, grew up in East Tennessee, now in Texas. Love it here. Uh, thankful for the ministry in this area. Uh, we need faithful pastors preaching the word. That's why I'm thankful for Nick, uh, your ministry up in uh, FBC Como, yeah. and uh, it's not a uh, a ministry in that area is not an easy one. No, no, um, it's not. and it's definitely not one that uh, has a lot of glory with it, so to speak. But it requires the faithful uh, shepherding of of of, uh, of the heart of a shepherd, and so I'm thankful that you're doing that. Mm. But um, anyway, I love preaching, love pastoring, and that's where God has me and thankful for it. Man, praise the Lord. And I just want to give a quick thing. A lot of people don't know and don't hear this much, but Tom Buck has a phenomenal wife. She is oh, an amazing, no amazing woman. Uh, she's encouraged my wife much, and uh, we just want to say thank you to her. I mean, just for uh, all that she's been through. I mean, you're a doctor now. You know, <laughs> you, you're Dr. <laughs> That's Tom what they Buck. tell me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so uh, she, she's been through a lot to, to get to this point, and we just want to say, man, you couldn't have been here without her. I'm, uh, oh, no, she's my wife's phenomenal uh, wife. She's a, a great pastor's wife. Mm, I'm thankful for her. Um, in fact, she's probably the reason I've uh, people keep me around <laughs> is because of her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the interesting things that we find ourselves on is that our topic today is social justice and the gospel. This mm -hmm. is part two. And we're excited because we have one of the original signers of the social justice and the gospel statement. And so, Tom, if you could just give us a little bit uh, as far as uh, what was the mindset in creating this statement? Uh, what was it like for all of you guys to come together uh, during that time? Well, you know, you have the least among these when you have the, uh, me as uh, talking to you as a signer. Um, yeah. But it, it it originated, I'm thankful for uh, Josh Bice, mm -hmm. uh, his leadership in this uh, with G3 uh, Ministries. Right. Um, Josh cares passionately about uh, maintaining a pure gospel in the church. Amen. Um, he and I had become, have, have become friends. We, uh, along with Tom Askell, who was uh, a Founders Ministries, who was also a very significant played a significant role mm. in the in the statement on social justice and the gospel. A lot of folks, uh, you know, give all the credit to Dr. MacArthur, and of course, 
Dr. MacArthur's contribution to this has been in, invaluable. We're Absolutely. so thankful for that. Um, but the or, the origin of it, who said, hey, let's get together and, and really started working with talking to Dr. MacArthur, Tom Askell, uh, and, and all the others, was Josh's, Josh Bice's leadership. Had it, had it not been for his leadership, I don't think we would have ever come around the table in Dallas uh-huh. uh, to have that conversation. So we met... Uh, in Dallas, June nineteenth, uh, two years ago, mm. um, in in twenty eighteen, um, Dr. MacArthur, um, Vody Bauckham, um, Josh Bice, Tom Askell, um, um, Phil Johnson, uh, Justin Peters. Uh, there were quite a few people that that were right. there, obviously, around right. the table, and we just uh, discussed what was going on in evangelicalism, including mm. the SBC world, which obviously uh, Askel Bice and I are, are very familiar with. Mm. And um, we talked about the dangers that we saw in what was taking place. Um, and we decided that uh, something needed to uh, be said. There needed to be a, a statement. It wasn't uh, a definitive statement that, that this is what we believe the gospel to be versus what we believe is going on in so, the social justice realm. Mm. Uh, we didn't mean for it to be the final word in the sense that, you know, as everybody's, a lot of people have said, hey, you, y'all didn't say everything that needs to be said. Well, we weren't trying right. to say everything that needs to be said. But we were trying to say the things we felt that were fundamental to say uh, to begin a con- trying to get a conversation going right. because it was a monologue on one side, still is. Mm. And um, our desire was that, was that out of this we would, you know, kind of, draw a line in the sand and say, hey, uh, we're going down a path right now that we don't think is consistent with the biblical worldview regarding justice. Absolutely. And so we want to, um, uh, we want this to be not a conversation stopper, but a conversation starter. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we haven't uh, got the other side to have the kind of conversation we had hoped to have. But uh, Now, people can still partake of the signing of this document, correct? Yeah, we would greatly. I mean, it's it's there. It's right. not a static. Um, um, it's it's an ongoing, I should say, um, document that we want people to read, mm-hmm. to sign, yes. to think through, mm-hmm. and if they agree with it, to sign it. Uh, we believe wholeheartedly that it represents the biblical worldview on these things. Yeah, and um, therefore, yes, uh, you can go to to that website and you can uh, read through it and and, and sign it there. Uh-huh. That's an interesting one that I actually host a Spanish podcast, La Buena Palabra, if you all recall from a couple of episodes back on um, the episode we did for the Out of Context that we did on Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we played a song at the beginning and we're like, oh, sorry, wrong podcast. It was actually that one. But I signed the statement on the social justice and the gospel as both La Buena Palabra and on a personal um, in a, in a personal level with my name on it. So it's definitely encouraging to see that there's other uh, men and women that are faithful to scripture and uh, stand alongside with the true uh, biblical um, teaching of justice and the things concerning that, that which uh, that documents um, so greatly lays out. So as, as we begin, um, it's important to look at exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about social justice, but the area that we need to focus on first uh, before we really dive into this is justice. Um, so we have to ask, what is justice? You know, Within the ESV Bible, we see the word justice appear 130 plus times, and it's never with an adjective. You know, we're not hearing justice 
we're hearing social justice with an adjective in front of it. Um, in the Bible, we never hear of social justice. In Ezekiel 18, 18, it says true justice. And in two uh, two occurrences, when people are praying, they say your justice. And when God is uh, speaking about justice, he says my justice. But there's never a, an adjective preceding the word justice. So it's interesting that we hear social justice so much, but it's not a biblical term. So, um, Tom, would you lay out for us what a biblical understanding of justice is? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, we, we want to say that w- when we don't say we don't agree with social justice, one of the things that often is pushed back on is saying, well, then you don't care about justice being carried out in society. Right. And that's ridiculous. That's not what we're saying. Uh, we're obviously saying social justice as it's defined within uh, the neo-Marxist uh, worldview that is out there. So when we think about justice and we look at God's word, God is just. So God is holy. He is just. He, he does exactly what is right. He gives every person exactly what is due, uh, mm. due to them. The same thing is true when we think about how we're to execute justice. We give to each and every person. In fact, if we read from the statement, uh, we say that we affirm that um, when it comes to social justice, that everyone is, uh, we, we'll talk about the image of God in a moment, but the statement says clearly that we believe includes showing appropriate respect to every person, giving to each person what he or she is due. Mm-hmm. So when we withhold from someone what they are due, so we'll take like the Imago Day. I owe every single person uh, treatment as who they are created as image bearers of God. That's good. And yeah. therefore, me giving them justice means that, that that's how I view them first and foremost. Therefore, I never view someone... Uh, less than that. So they're equal with me. Mm-hmm. They deserve equal justice. They deserve equal treatment. They deserve to receive the honor that they have due Amen. being uh, made in the image of God. Um, and we have certainly seen in our society injustices. We see injustices all the time. You can't have a society um, without there being injustices because society's filled with sinners. Um, it doesn't mean we ignore those things. The question is, how do we as Christians best go about bringing about justice in the world? Exactly. You know, as far as being a pastor, you have to be able to guide and shepherd your people into how they respond to this. So, you know, let's take, you know, Joe, who is a mechanic, he's a faithful member of the church. He's got, you know, a lovely wife and children. You know, why, why does this matter to him? Why, why should this subject matter to him, especially in a time where we're seeing this just on every news media outlet right now? Why, why should this matter to him? Well, the reason it should matter to him is because uh, everything that you see in this world, whether it be news or even when you go to church, you're being given a worldview by which to to understand what's happening in the world around you, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to be you're going to get that somewhere. Uh, is it coming from the Word of God or not? Right, and it's and it's certainly going to affect your life. We're seeing it play out in the streets of our country right now. Uh, what's happening on the streets regarding the chaos we've seen and uh, is a is a worldview in how they understand both what justice is and how we accomplish bringing about justice and how we respond to injustices. Right. So it's 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 on our doorstep. Um, I said two years ago or a year and a half ago, I should say, in January of 2019, at a G3 conference or prior to that, in in a mini conference that happened before it, I said that the social justice train is is 
is as full steam ahead, mm. and it will be pulling up at your church's station very soon, uh. whether you realize it or not. And here, a year and a half later, it, it is there. Yes. And it's infecting our churches. It's affecting your life. Um, we need to understand these things as a Christian. Of what, how does God's biblical worldview? call upon us to respond to what we see happening in our world. Mm. We definitely plan on getting to that as far as the train showing up on the church's right. doorstep. But before we get to that, one of the things that I wanted to read was the statement's denial in justice, mm-hmm. and that is that you deny that true justice can be culturally defined or that standards of justice that are merely socially constructed can be imposed with the same authority as those that are derived from the Scripture. We further deny that Christians can live justly in the world under any principles other than the biblical standard of righteousness, relativism social socially constructed standards of truth or morality and notions of virtue and vice that are constantly in flux cannot result in authentic justice and i think that that is so important and and is very clear that we as a church have to see we have to set the standard of what justice is from the word of god and so i think that's that's very good that yep, absolutely that. well with that being said, before we get on to the church, let's look at what's happening in the world. And um, specifically with this big thing that's going on, and that is the term Black Lives Matter. That's right. a, this is a, a big thing. Um, as far as Black Lives Matter here, uh, we're hearing, we heard John MacArthur differentiate the, the movement from the statement. And so um, could you just share a little bit on that as far as... Yeah, I've been trying to speak out pretty clearly on this, too, that you have to separate the the words Black Lives Matter, which in and of themselves we must 100% fully embrace, agree with, mm. uh, as we would say, the lives of every single person matters. Now, I certainly understand that uh, when someone says all lives matter, uh, that and, and they and folks get upset when that's being said, saying, you, you can't, why can't you say Black Lives Matter? I certainly understand that if there is a certain disparity that's being directed towards uh, in individuals that are black, then I don't have I don't have to answer when they say Black Lives Matter with all lives matter. I can say, okay, if you're talking about the lives of blacks and blacks are being treated in a disparaging way, then I join with you clearly and say those words. The problem with the organization, it's been cleverly crafted in such a way that if you speak out against the organization, you're inherently a racist because you, if you say, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter organization, right. uh, you have to constantly say organization because you just say, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter, trademark, right. then I, I'm a racist. Right. Um, the Black Lives Matter organization is, they openly uh, declare themselves to be communistic. Mm-hmm. In their thinking, they're trained in that in that thinking. They've talked about how they are in that. They're formed by four lesbians, mm-hmm. um, whose agenda is not merely uh, to achieve equal rights, if you will, for the black community, but uh, they they even specifically focus on the trans black community. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're trying to. They feel you know we the culture is is done well with the L and the G, uh, and I guess the B got missed somewhere in the process, but uh, because they've skipped over to the T, but the T has not uh, been uh, addressed in the way it should. And that's the next wave of the revolution. Mm. And I believe that that's correct. That's what they're trying to do. They also support abortion. Um, 
So there, if there's any systemic, clear systemic injustice in our country, it's abortion. Absolutely. And if there, and, and when you look at the fact that the, the majority of abortions are, are black babies, mm. uh, who, if there's anybody targeting blacks in this country, it's abortion doctors and abortion clinics. They're planted right into black neighborhoods. But yet, do those lives matter? I believe they do. Yes. So when I say black lives matter, I believe that every Christian who says that in when in a, in a biblical way, they actually mean that mm-hmm. more than anyone in the Black Lives Matter organization means it. Yes. They do not mean that. They mean certain black lives matter. Mm-hmm. The, the black lives that they feel are being oppressed by institutions, white institutions in, in America. Yes, I mean, at the rate things are going and the way we're seeing this entering the church at such an alarming rate, is it even fair to say uh, that the social justice movement is a Trojan horse or is it a battering ram at the doors of the church? Yeah, th- listen, the horse is already inside and it's grazing, uh, you know, and, and they've already opened the doors and infiltrated. It's here. Um, it, it's everywhere. Uh, you, you know, I did, I just... While we were sitting here preparing to meet together, I just pulled up something where Lagos is doing something tonight on this. Oh, man. So, you know, you've got yeah. even mm. uh, even something like Lagos. Why isn't Lagos just sticking to what Lagos is supposed to do, which is <laughs> right. to create computer programs that help us better study the Word of God? Right. But everybody's jumping onto this, this yes. social justice train yes. because it's, you know, for whatever reason, I can't put, you know— um, read people's motives and, and, and declare what they are. But it's in the church. It's in every aspect of the church. Uh, your church people are reading about it. Pastors may not know that their church members are, but their church members are. They're either getting it from the church world itself or they're even getting it from their workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tom, you alluded to the idea that we're, we were hearing a lot of people say all lives matter in response to Black Lives Matter. Um, but there's something that interesting that took place, and you actually shared it on Twitter, and that was the interaction between Don Lemon and Terry Crews. Yes. Right? And Terry Crews had said all black lives matter. And his response was because of what was taking place in the inner cities where these children are dying. And he was trying to make it clear that, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a, an infant all the way up to, you know, a hundred years old. And I love your statement. You always say it from the womb to the tomb that all black lives matter. And yet Terry Cruz was told, no, you can't say that. If you want to start your own movement, go start your own movement, but don't try to bring that into the black lives matter statement and, and that was just mind blowing to see that even the statement itself is being under attack because Terry Crews was trying to make sure that we see we need to get get on board with the injustice that's taking place even in these children's lives. I mean, uh, the sad video of the father getting right. shot right in front of his daughter is horrific. What is taking place? And uh, if anything, that we should be yelling even louder about things like this, right? Yeah. Where's the justice for for that? Right. And uh, you look at what's happening in Chicago. Uh, daily, yes. Uh, where is where's the justice for these children? Mm. So we we've gone from where children are not just being murdered in the womb, now children are being murdered in the streets. Man. And um, something we definitely there there definitely needs to be these things need to be addressed. Mm. But it's not going to happen if the way that we go about it is to attack the very institutions that are there to protect society. And that there is not the evidence that continues to be said that these institutions are targeting and hunting down blacks with the purpose with the purpose to kill them. The facts don't 
Yes. Don't don't express that. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, what happened with the situation with George Floyd was not horrific. Now, I still think we need to find out what all the details are. Right. But I saw enough there to know, right. as everybody I've talked to, right. that um, the excessive force that was used by that officer was wicked and, and violent, in my opinion. But we don't know that it was race-motivated. We sure. don't know that. Sure. But, yeah, It absolutely. may have been, and if it is, then... Then um, you know we need you know we need to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. So that's the interesting thing um, that w- that we're seeing. We obviously as Christians we condone racism. We in no way partake of it. It is sin, and if you are racist, you need to repent of that sin. And uh, many people are drawn to Black Lives Matter. Uh, we agree with the statement Black Lives Matter, but then you start looking at the organization of Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter organization. Um, you start looking at their. Um, statement and there's very few things that evangelical christians would would uh side with we would side of course with the statement that black lives do matter of course but very few christians would uh side with the lgbtq um you know uh, queer affirming movement and the destruction of the nuclear family and all these other things that they're trying to uh there's very few christians that would side with these things but there's this dangerous allure in which if you're able to draw them in with the statement black lives matter you can introduce them to their ideology and so my question for you tom is how do we as 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 christians you know especially as leaders how do we um deal with this dangerous allure to be drawn into the movement when in, uh there's so much more uh so you're only looking at the surface level of what this entails you know how, how do we go about um shepherding our, our people to to respond to this right we, we have to be constantly differentiating ourselves from that group and it's unfortunate but that's that's what it means to be a christian in this world it's to speak with clarity and it's uh to not only say what we are but what we aren't so you, you take it how paul argued in the gospel of romans it was re- it was uh, regular for him to have to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Is this is this the conclusion to what I just said? There, people draw false conclusions from true premises, so we're constantly having to clarify, even in doctrine. So I think we need to clarify here. Some are saying, well, let's not let's not worry about that. Most people don't, you know, when they say Black Lives Matter, they don't mean that they uh, that they support that organization. They may not even know the organization exists. Even more so, why we need to be a part of that. Because people, uh, McDonald's is giving money yes. to Black Lives Matter organization. Other um, places that you go to eat, uh, they're giving a dollar for every meal that you buy to the Black Lives Organi- Black Lives Matter organization. Mm. Well, your average Christian that maybe is ignorant about some of these things, they may say, "Isn't that a great thing that you yeah. know I'm going and I can eat a burger and give money towards the injustices that happen to Black people?" But what they don't realize is they're actually helping to fund plant. Planned Parenthood's goal, uh, which is to abort babies, but particularly target black babies in this situation. Right. You know, in Proverbs 28, 5, it says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And we have to emphatically say that Black Lives Matter is run by evil men and women. Right. And they're involved in so many perversions that God hates. I mean, here we have the Black Lives Matter statement here. And in there, they say, we we dismantle the patriarch patriarchal practice that we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure uh, and they foster a queer affirming network. Right. And, and so we don't need much more to know that this is an evil movement with, with, with people, not an evil movement, but uh, 
uh, evil people who are within this movement. And I think a lot of people are scared to say that. Um, but we have to make that very clear within the church that this this is the dangers of getting involved with socially constructed judicial justice systems that are not founded upon the word of God and do not seek true justice for all the image bearers of God, right? Yeah, you know, just take the nuclear family. I would say that part of a major reason or a major component of the problem within the black community is the breakdown of the family. Right. And uh, it's just stunning to me that that one of the things that is their goal is to further break down and completely eradicate the family right. when that is what's made the black community so weak uh we've actually the some of the ways that our culture has chosen to address the um partialities that were shown gross partialities godless partialities that were shown during the segregation era uh some of the policies that we have employed have actually hurt the black family have weakened the black family yes. to a point that it has not helped, but it has actually cultivated an environment that um, uh, um, puts young black men in particular mm. in a position where they're on the streets committing crimes. Interestingly enough, you talked about uh, Lyman. I think it's pronounced Lyman on CNN. Yeah. Um, or is it Lemon? Uh, Don Lemon. Don Lemon. Okay, Lemon. I thought it was yeah. Lyman, but Lemon. Um, it's spelled, I guess, like Lyman, pronounced like Lemon. Right. But Don, Don Lemon. It's interesting. I saw a video from him from eight years ago or nine years ago, something like that, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he goes through and says the very things I just said. Mm -hmm. Talks about how fatherlessness is the is is a major problem within the black community leading to the problems that are going on. In fact, interesting enough, the first thing he said is if you want to be better, if you want to better yourself, pull your pants up. So he, <laughs> he attacks that particular issue. Now. If you said that today as a white person, that would be considered racist. Right. But but Don Lemon says that directly on CNN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, eight or nine years ago. Yeah. So there's been a huge cultural shift, even in his thinking regarding this. Yet the very thing he said is destroying uh, the black uh, community, uh, Black Lives Matter, is wanting to completely annihilate it. Yeah. Yeah. So just to be clear, for those who may have not caught it at the beginning, Tom, do Black Lives Matter? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's say I'm glad you asked that because... We, I, I preached a few weeks ago that we live in a very precarious time, so we must, we must work hard to be able to say on one side that black lives matter, every single life matters from the womb to the tomb, Amen. that we need to be doing everything we can. As, that would be true of all ethnicities. Yes. But I want to say it clearly and unequivocally that black lives matter. The organization is wicked and vile and actually is counter to black lives matter. Mm. Only certain black lives matter in that organization. Now, we would all agree that racism still exists, and we would even go a step further, and especially as pastors, uh, we know that there are traditions in the older crowd that exist, um, you know, presuppositions, stereotypes, stuff like that. But there's one that I, I, I found very interesting that I think you speak to well, and that's interracial marriage. And um, you you gave a story from Florida that yes. about an about how you're addressing uh, of interracial marriage. Could you give us that? That was yeah, really good. Yeah, I can. Uh, this been a long, long time ago right. before this was even an issue. Right. But we had um, uh, we had a, folk, a couple of folks in our church that were in interracial marriages, and uh, they had re received uh, you know a lot of just horrible comments from people mm. uh, about that. Not necessarily in our church, but yeah, out, yeah. in their family right. and so forth. And so when I was preaching through First uh, Peter 
and talking about we're you know the race that we are. I talked about the issue of, I said, do I believe in interracial marriage? I said, no, I believe interracial marriage is sinful. <laughs> and I said that intentionally. Now, you have to get this again because people will get that clip out there. Right. So hear the rest of this. And I said, interracial marriage, I'm, oh, oh, I'm not talking about you know, interracial as far as ethnicities. I'm talking about when a Christian marries a non-Christian. Yes. That is, <laughs> there is only one uh, interracial marriage that the Bible speaks against, mm. and that is a believer marrying an unbeliever. Um, and if we would, that's a biblical worldview. If we would get that, it would it would change everything because we are a new race. Yes, in that sense, as Christians. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, back to what you said about racism. Um, I think we need to define these terms uh, better, and so I think it's better for us than to talk about racism because social justice has a different. Um, yes. definition for racism than, right. than you and I do. Right. We would say that racism is when I uh, is ethnic hatred. Mm-hmm. I hate someone because of their ethnicity. Right. It might be because of their color of their skin, but it may just be because of their ethnicity. Uh, or ethnic prejudice or ethnic partiality where that I treat someone better or worse mm-hmm. uh, due to the um, color of their skin or their ethnicity. Of course, social justice uh, warriors say that racism is is essentially institutional, mm. uh, and it's the uh, the system itself right. that's racist. Um, and I do believe that you can have um, re- people who are who are ethnically prejudiced will bring that into worldly systems. Right. So of course those things right. exist in right. systems, but the way to address it is first and foremost to change. The hearts of the people. Amen. You change the hearts of the people, the systems will change. If you don't change the hearts of the people, then you may successfully change the system. But at the end of the day, they'll wreck new systems that are prejudiced, or they'll sub- subvert those systems in order to accomplish their their ethnic hatred. Man, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, y'all, y'all just recently did an interview with uh, Virgil Walker and uh, Daryl Harrison and uh, the Just Thinking podcast. We we uh, plugged them in last week and we want to encourage you to uh, go and look at their content, man. Talk about amazing, just brothers that have devoted their lives to making sure we live by biblical truths. But um, could you define specifically race versus ethnicity, just quickly, just kind of the difference there. Yeah, I think if you want a real good definition of that, you need to go listen to Daryl Harrison talk about I, that's it. That's why I said I've, that. I've learned from him. Right. So I'm still learning right. in this. So um, and, and they took two hours to break that yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, when we think about ethnicity, um, ethnicity has, to, has, has a broad category. Cultural things uh, come along with that. Um Obviously, um, your heritage, your background, language, uh, there's all kinds of things that come along with ethnicity. And um, um, I, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to delve into defining those two words. I just, I'm going to point you to Daryl Harrison on that. I've had to ask him multiple times to help me better understand those two things. Right. Uh, he, you know, one thing he says for sure. The color of skin is not a cate- a biblical category. Right. It just isn't. Mm. When we think about race, that's how we think about that more often than not, mm. so the color of someone's skin. And, of course, the person that introduced race was Darwin. Right. Um, it's it's not a the way that it's used today. Right. The way that it's used today is not used in Scripture at all. Mm. Yeah. And that... 
that podcast we want to encourage you to go look at is Racial Reconciliation by the Just Thinking Podcast. It's so good. It, they spend a long time defining that. And so I just want to encourage you to go um, look at that. And I think that that leads us into, I guess, the mindset of what do we do when the government starts saying that your sermons are hate crimes, right? right? You know, and we're seeing this in Canada. Uh, we have brothers there that, I mean, their sermons are being monitored. Um, and so we see it in China, uh, right. you know, with the underground church. Um, James White said on this podcast yesterday, he uh, was talking about how in China, the, you know, the, the church that is allowed there, uh, they had to pledge allegiance to their president there and that he was the one who overcame the COVID-19, uh, you know, <laughs> pandemic. And so they had to sing this national anthem of China in their church service uh, in order to praise their, their leader for that. And I, it, it's just mind blowing, but I don't think we're necessarily that far from that, you know, in, in the aspect of, of the state making its way into the church, you've, you've already alluded to that the train's at the door. And so um, at what point do we need to start putting the brakes on and saying, okay, we've got to be very careful our next couple moves. Well, I think that the brakes are hurt. ought to be completely on. They are for me. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to say exactly what the scriptures say. And, you know, uh, Romans 13 doesn't tell me that that I'm to obey the government in anything that they say, clearly because uh, we obey God rather than man. But Romans 13 would tell me that that, that the authority of the state, uh, I will have to suffer the consequences right. Of, of, right. of standing for what is right, and they'll answer to God for executing their injustices yes. out upon out upon us, mm-hmm. um, but we are going to have to be prepared for that. I, I what I don't want I don't what I don't think we should do is we don't look for a fight. Mm-hmm. So I don't Absolutely. I don't think we get up and we we invite persecution. Right. Um, it's not an exact one to one, but you know it's kind of like you know. Uh, we don't challenge Satan. My, Michael, uh, the arch, archa- archangel Michael didn't challenge Satan. <laughs> right. I don't think that you know we do that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but I think we just continue to be faithful to preach the gospel, and we let the chips fall where they may. And when they come and try to stop us, we continue to do that. I certainly am not singing a song to praise any of our leaders, including Trump. So right. uh, that's not exactly. Happen. Well, let, let me take it a step even further. Yeah. Um, we're seeing the SBC's involvement in the social justice movement. I mean, they just started the SBC leadership Di- diversity initiative. Right. right. And so uh, could you speak towards that? I mean, just seeing this, this major organization starting to shift that direction. Well, was that the it was that the SBC that started the diversity or the SBC voices that I guess it was the voices. Yeah, I yeah. think it's SBC voices. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the the problem with the, you know, there's a two sided two sided thing here. In, in one sense, I don't have a problem with diversity. Right. Um, I believe it makes makes sense uh, to say if if this person is is qual- if you have two people that are equally qualified, and one of those individuals are going to uh, or, or of a different ethnicity, we have the ability to minister in this way, or maybe we have a lot of uh, in this particular area better, or we have a lot of people that uh, are at, uh, in order to represent the convention that hold to have more diversity. I don't have a problem in of that. Right. So let's use where you are up at FBC Coma. There's a lot of Hispanic uh, influence up in that area. Yes. And so that's one of the reasons. You know, when I looked at qualified men, you were not only qualified, 
as far as a man of God and handling the word, but I felt that you would be able to go up there and minister better than even I would mm. uh, in a Hispanic culture. Uh-huh. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that's partiality. Uh, I just think that's wisdom, you know, sure. in seeing. Just like if we go to India, we're trying to send, you know, we I don't go over there. We go over there and train so that there's indigenous missionaries to work there. So I think there's a lot of different reasons of why uh, you might uh, have diversity. Right. The problem, I think, the when you have diversity on the other side that's wrong, the part of diversity that's wrong is when you say our goal is diversity. Right. So that right. we can, uh, we need to have forced diversity uh, that's not necessarily based on um, someone having the merit. Merit, to me, that's partiality. Scripture Deuteronomy says don't show uh, partiality to the rich or the poor. Mm. Now, that's kind of interesting because yeah. if you say don't show partiality to the rich, or he goes, exactly. <laughs> but if you say don't show partiality to the poor, then wait, wait a minute, what are you talking about? That's the good. poor don't have any partiality. They have partiality all the time right? in, in, certain, in certain ways. Right. Our culture can show that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that – I think that there is a type of diversity that is unbiblical and showing partiality. And I think that's clearly when – uh, you try to be diverse uh, just for the sake of diversity alone, and I think that's that's uh, extreme. It's not just dangerous; it's unbiblical. Right. Uh, Revelation chapter five. We see at the throne room. We see tongues from all different nations. Right. right? Uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing is is almost this mindset or this impression that people have that God is celebrating diversity there instead of celebrating His own glory. Right. right. And so um, I think that that's a really good point that you make. Well, you're right. Revelation 5 is not, not about a celebration of diversity in heaven. Right. It's a celebration that Christ is saved from every tongue, tribe, and nation, that he has been able to bring Amen. into his kingdom everybody. He, What it is, it's it's a restoration of, of what, what sin did at Babylon. Mm. Christ has restored fully Amen. around the throne. That's what that's about. That's good. And, and if we can understand that, that's really going to help us a lot better. Then all of a sudden, it's not about, hey, my church needs to look like Revelation 5 for me to be a true <laughs> biblical church. That's good. It's ridiculous right. that they say this. That could only happen in, in, in a multi-ethnic culture like you have in America. Right. Would I go to a little church, a uh, house church in China and say, well, you don't have enough white people here. Mm. You have too many Asian people here. You don't look like Revelation 5. You're not the true church. If I go to, to certain parts of Ghana where I've been before, that's 100% black churches up in up in the areas where I've been. And I look at them and say, you're not a Revelation 5 church. Mm. You need to work towards that. Uh, if if I can't take my missiology and make it apply anywhere, that's good. It's telling you something's wrong with my missiology. It needs to be universal. Absolutely, it yeah. does. Mm. That's one of the things I appreciated about seminary. They taught us that when you preach your sermon, it needs to be universal. It needs to be able to fit anywhere and for right. anyone. And that's something that's so powerful that I remember every time I step up in the pulpit, doesn't matter whether you're black, brown, white, doesn't matter what part of the world you're from, the gospel is the gospel, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> let's talk about even the, the what is often said about diversity. They say that, well, your church should reflect your community. So if your community is 10% black, yes. 5% Hispanic, 12% Asian, that, that your church ought to have that same type of percentage. They well, now that logically, if I mean, if you just take logic and you don't even really think about it, mm-hmm. you know, just on the you know tabletop logic, it sounds oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. But there's you begin to examine that from scripture, and it's just it's just ridiculous, right? Because first of all, God is the one who chooses to save. Yes. Now that Amen. being said, if you came to my church, Nick, and um, 
you started attending here, and you came to me and you said, Tom, I, I think there's some things that you all do here that that actually make it difficult mm. for a Hispanic couple to come in and feel welcome and greeted and whatever. I would want to hear that. Yeah. I would want to have that conversation. Mm. Um, I don't think that that's out of bounds to have those conversations because Man. it is possible for me to do things that are uh, geared towards my cultural understanding of things. Right. I was having a conversation the other day with an individual who was talking about we want to be more ethnically diverse, would love to be more. And I said, I am all for ethnic diversity uh-huh. as the Lord builds that into the church. And uh, so then they were talking about how that uh, they believe that at the beginning of the service that people shouldn't be late. We should always start on time, end on time, <laughs> and um, so forth and so on. And that you know, if someone really cares about worshiping God, they will not be late. They're going to be there right on time. Respect people's to end on time. I said that. I said that's awful white of you. <laughs> and and I was you know I was joking. <laughs> right, right. But I mean that's just that's our culture. Yeah. You go to the black culture, and they don't care whether you end on time. They'll go for for on and on and on and on and on. I, the Hispanic culture, they're, they're they view time differently than we yes. do. Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, absolutely. I can confirm that he yeah. goes to a Hispanic church. Yeah. So yeah. so the people that that are are late late, do they not love the Lord? I, I think There's no such the thing as late at his church. Okay, <laughs> I will tell you, there is one lady who is a couple times late, and when we approached her and asked her about it. She spends time in her prayer closet. Wow. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We would view it as a, some, some would view it as a, oh, sinful, you don't care about the Lord. Yeah. Rather, her morning devotion with the Lord is running so over. <laughs> yeah. That she loses track of time. Yeah. She doesn't have, like, okay, Lord, I have five minutes of prayer time yeah. with you. When that timer goes off, I'm running to my car to go to church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just illustrating those things to say that I think a lot of the reason why we have maybe don't have as many much diversity in our churches. It has a lot more to do with cultural things that we do rather than intentional uh, ethnic hatred or ethnic prejudice. I don't want, quote-unquote, these people mm. uh, in my church. And so I do think there's a place for us to have conversation about how are there things that we're doing that, unne- that, that unnecessarily keep us from being or necessarily keep us from being able to have uh, more diversity, but uh, when you make diversity your goal, that's just not a biblical a biblical worldview. That's good. Yeah. Well, obviously we're talking about some good things right here right. Uh, in the church, but we also see that there is an enemy of the church who is seeking its destruction, right? And um, if anything, you know, we've we've alluded to those type of things that could possibly come about. So I, I asked this question just being realistic with where, um, you know, we could possibly see things going in the next four years in the next, whatever it be. Um, do you feel that the social justice movement could possibly be the, the modern day reformation? Well, when you, when you say that, do you mean where there's going to have to be a separation yes. Uh, reform? Yes. Um, I, I very well think it could be. I was mm. talking with somebody earlier today, uh, a, an evangelical leader, uh, just about an hour or so before we met up. And uh, he said that there probably is going to be a sorting. Man, yeah. Um, and he's come to accept that. Mm. Um, I, I think that probably is true. Yeah. I think it's sad, but 
it, I think it's going to be necessary because they're two different worldviews. Yes. Um, we believe that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that needs to be proclaimed, that needs to be, people need to be discipled in that. Hearts need to change. Amen. Now, we are not saying, and I want to clarify this because people, Chris, says, oh, you guys just say just preach the gospel. That is such a reductionistic uh, presentation of what we say. That's it's, good. Just, it's not true. We do not say just preach the gospel. Right. We say preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is what will, as we continue preaching, as we continue seeing people saved, transform our homes, our lives, our culture. Is it not what we see in the book of Ephesians? Yes. Where the gospel is laid out, and then when you get to the latter part, that's what will change your marriage. That's what will change your relationship in the Mm. home. That's what will change the relationship between a a very difficult situation with master and slave, right? Yeah. So in in the book of Ephesians. Yeah. And, And so amazingly... You know, you could you had masters and slaves in the church together. Yes, uh, who were equal at the foot of cross. Amen. Uh, looked, you know, and then it had to be fleshed out in real life. You look at Philemon and uh, the runaway slave. But when, when you look at when you look at that relationship, the gospel, Paul was making it very clear to them that the gospel was going to transform how they viewed one another. He's no longer a, just a slave. He's your brother. Yeah. And if you read that book, you can just see there that that if you follow through and you follow out what th- this relationship is, it's going to change everything in your worldly relationship. Yeah. It's not because the New Testament's condoning slavery, and of course we know that the slavery, Greco-Roman slavery, totally different than the man stealing that happened in the American slavery that the Bible outright forbids in Absolutely. every way. But it still is going to change that relationship entirely if you live out the gospel. So we're not saying just preach the gospel. We're saying preach the gospel. Lives are transformed and changed by it, and that will change the culture over time. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you look at Colossians 3, there's no Greek nor Jew nor male nor female, no uh, free nor slave nor um, barbarian or Scythian. Uh, Christ is all and in all. It's not to say that we deny these beautiful um, ethnicities and you know cultural differences that we have. But uh, what we boast in is no longer our differences, but is the uniting factor. So we boast in Christ who unites us all, you know, Christ all and in all. Uh, and that's this amazing and, and beautiful thing that we're seeing no matter um, what your background is. You know, you've been reconciled in Christ. You've been brought together. You've been made whole. You are now part of a uh, his universal bride. And it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, those social constructs no longer define us fundamentally. Right. What defines us fundamentally is our relationship to Christ. Then that affects all those other things. Yes, uh, It affects how I live as the leader of my home. It affects how my wife lives as she submits to my authority and how I exercise my authority. Mm. It affects all those things. It doesn't destroy those relationships. It enriches them, yes. and it makes them what they were would, would best be in uh, when Christ is ruling and exercising his authority over those relationships. And that's exactly what you see in Ephesians 4. Um, what we are say- what we are against is saying that the, church- the purpose of the church is to bring about societal reform right. by uh, bringing about changes in the governmental structures or the systems or whatever, because we're going to disagree on those things. Right. 
You know, Tom, unfortunately, we are seeing that the woke church is getting behind the world's attempt of justice. And so I ask you, at what point does the woke church see that their support of the modern social justice movement has gone too far and that they can publicly denounce any further involvement? Or do they ever even get to that point? Well, I think the woke church is is already so far gone um, Mm. into these things. They have, you know, for lack of better term drunk the kool-aid yeah and we're seeing the effects right now uh take place when we cannot even have a conversation um about regarding you know whether there really exists police brutality for example right um and when we're talking about police brutality we're not talking about um i'm not talking i mean in the situation like you see with george floyd right um i do not think that that we see evidenced that um, in the, in the facts that that uh, black men are being targeted by the police for the very purpose of de- destroying their lives. Right. But yet we've got churches and even pastors who are saying that the church needs to. I mean, they were marching. Yes. So we had certain churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, who are not meeting for worship because the government forbids it. In their state, right? But they did march. For they, the same church gathered yes. on their property, although they're not get they're not defying the government regarding worship, but the government allowed it, so they they gathered and they marched in protest uh, for the situation with George Floyd. Yeah, and they weren't just protesting about what happened to George Floyd; they were protesting that what happened to George Floyd is uh, uh, representative of what goes on regularly within within the police force. Right. Um, and if we can't have a conversation about that and allow a guy like Vody Bauckham to say, I don't believe the evidence is there. This is not just white people saying this. Right. There are plenty of people on the black side saying it as well. So I think if the woke church is going to make that their goal, uh, that we're going to bring about this type of societal reform, uh, not through the means of the proclamation of the gospel and planting churches, um, they've already left me. I'm not a part of that. I, right. I think that they're no longer a part of what I see to be evident in the New Testament. You can't show me anywhere in the New Testament that that's the case mm. uh, of how the the New Testament church functioned within its society. Right. And there were plenty of uh, atrocities right. that they right. could have been addressing with Nero and yes. the Roman government. Yes. Christ could have been addressing those things. He didn't, mm. even when John the Baptist was beheaded. That's good. Uh, Jesus did not uh, go marching uh, saying that this was injustice, although he certainly knew that it was right. and made it very clear that the actions of Herod were wicked. Mm. Man, you know, it's it's very interesting because these are brothers and sisters in Christ but and, and very well have good intentions. Um, but we've used this... Um, passage before in, in scripture and we see Uzzah, right? He had good intentions right. to keep the ark from falling, but unfortunately he was struck dead and it was out of God's anger that he was struck dead. And I, I think we have to be very careful as the church, as God's bride, um, to not define anything the way we want to, but to let scripture be the only mandating uh, you know, authority in our life. And so uh, like Uzzah, we too can be trying to catch something that God has made it very clear, leave it alone. It, it, and we know 
even further back that, um, you know, David had ordered for the ark to be brought in the wrong way, period. So the entire system, if you will, was already messed up from the beginning. And so uh, we have to see as a church, we have to be very clear on, on how we go about this because pragmatism, which is what right. this is, will ultimately lead to our demise as a church if we're not careful. So Absolutely right. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm. Yeah, so now I want to address a, a next topic. Um, when people say that uh, Black Lives Matter, racial reconciliation, social justice, it's a necessary component of the gospel. It is a gospel issue or a gospel matter. Um, we know the gospel to mean good news, but there's also the bad news of the gospel that makes the uh, what Christ did good news. And that's the bad news that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. But in today's day and age, uh, where white privilege is now the original sin, We've said, yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but white people have fallen even shorter of the glory of God uh, with the way we're going about seeking reparations and uh, the way we're addressing a particular uh, people. Uh, so how do we reconcile this to say that this whole movement is a matter of the, of the gospel? Well, I mean, if you try to make everything a gospel issue, you wonder if anything is a gospel issue in one sense yes. or another. But the... What, what do we know is the gospel issue? What makes something a gospel issue? Um, something is a gospel issue where we are declaring to people that they are depraved sinners that are wicked, that all have fallen short and come glory, fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. All. Right. Every ethnicity. Um, and that all of us need to, uh, are going to face God in judgment someday. Uh. We're going to stand before God. And that a lot of that comes into this issue as well. Justice is coming. Yes. Yes. And we need to be the church's the church's mission more than anything is to prepare people for the fact that eternal justice you're going to answer someday. You may not answer now. We certainly don't ignore injustice now. We certainly try to do everything that we can within our power where we have ability to bring about justice. We should care about what happened with George Floyd. We should care about that that there is a fair trial. We should care about that that the facts come out. And the jury yes. makes a decision that is just and right. We should care about that. We should see that to the very end. But we know that even if it doesn't come out exactly the way we would hope it to here, someday justice will be fully meted out. So there's two places that justice, and this is where the gospel comes in, there's only two places biblically that justice is meted out. It's either meted out at the cross or it's meted out at the throne. Mm. And we're on this side. The throne is coming. Yes. And if... You know, we haven't been called to meet out justice at the courthouse. That's not the church's responsibility. Man. Our, our, we point people to the two places biblically, at the cross or at the throne. And unless you come to Christ and receive forgiveness for your sins, because the greatest acts of injustice in this world, the greatest victim, if you will, of sin is God, that we as his creatures Man. have sinned against him. And we deserve what we deserve. If we want justice, what we deserve is eternal wrath. What we deserve is what we'll get at the throne someday if we yes. don't receive what's what we need now at the cross. That's what that's what the gospel's about. The gospel issue today is calling upon people to come to Christ, mm. so that they can that they can receive the forgiveness that's found only in Christ, and that the justice that the wrath that we deserve that is just and right that should be poured out upon us was poured out upon Christ. If you don't do that, you, there is a day coming where you're going to stand before God 
and you are going to give an account. Uh-huh. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, look at how difficult it is. Maybe that's not the best word, but how difficult it is to convict someone, if you will. Yes. Right. It, it, it's not easy. I mean, when you talk about you have to have two or three witnesses. Right. And, of course, I'm not, I believe there's many ways to have witnesses. There's evidence that you can have. Forensic evidence can serve as a witness and all of those things, not to go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> right. When people say you have to have two or three eyewitnesses, that's not what I think you necessarily have to have. But the point being is, is you can't convict anyone on one witness. You, you can't convict someone on a video. Mm. We think we can. Right. Because we think we see everything that needs to be seen and convict them. You can't do that. Right. You need to have let all the facts come out before you have the final uh, verdict. Right. So the point that I'm making here is that God made it very, again, I'll use the word difficult, mm. for us to convict someone because we, are, we don't see things perfectly. God sees everything perfectly. We have the promise in Scripture that he'll meet it all out in the end. He will make sure that in the end justice will be served. Yeah. He wants us to seek justice now and to do justice now. But for us to do it, God has given us very strict requirements uh, and really restrictions that make it that we that if we are going to execute our form of justice here, we need to have great certainty yes. that we are actually carrying out mm-hmm. uh, justice. And that's why in America, what I love about our system as flawed as it is because it's made up of sinners, we would have always said we would rather see 10 guilty people go free than one person who's not guilty go to jail. Uh Mm. And I am thankful for that in our system. Yeah. You know, you've said before, if you don't get your anthropology right, you won't get your soteriology right, you know, and and that's exactly what you're saying. You know, there's only one place where we are actually guilty until proven innocent, and that is at the foot of the cross, right? Right. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we would be made innocent because of what he has done. Amen. Yeah, and in the social justice movement, it's it's like there is the anthropology that they have for those who are quote unquote victims, it's almost like they make them all out to be saints. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, okay, let's just be honest for a second. This will get me in trouble. But George Floyd was doing criminal activity on that day. Had he not been involved in criminal activity, Mm. it is very likely what happened to him wouldn't have happened. Now, does that mean we excuse the officers? Of course not. That officer has a certain level of responsibility. But so does the person that's involved in that. I know someone will say, well, you're, you know, you would blame the woman because how she dresses because she got raped. Uh, I wouldn't blame her for being raped, but does she have no responsibility at all mm-hmm. to dress in such a way that doesn't doesn't put her out there to make her more susceptible to that? It, it's not a blame thing. It's that we need to look at how the Bible defines things. It's sinners. Right. There was a sinner, George Floyd, who was sinning. Right. There was a sinner officer that responded, it seems, even more sinfully in the way that he handled it. We'll see when the facts go out. But they're sinning all around. Right. But you would think George Floyd was, uh, well, they painted him as a saint, put angel wings on him, a halo over his head at, at his funeral. They did. How horrible is that to teach the black community, to teach your black children, uh, your black young men, that that's something that's respectable? There's mm. nothing respectable about that. Right. Now, on the other side, I'm gonna, I don't want my son to look and say that there's something respectable, respectable about putting your knee in that man's neck uh, using excessive force. 
from what I see in the video. Yes. So why can't we have that discussion right. without me being a racist because I point out the fact of what's what happened with this uh, with George Floyd being on drugs, being involved uh, supposedly right. being on drugs, supposedly being involved in a crime uh, on that day. I think what you're getting at is kind of this trying to get the law to do what only the gospel can do, mm-hmm. right? You know, and you see this difference between law and gospel right. and that's what we're missing is, is the disconnect there that we're, we're trying to tell the law just do it do it add more laws do something right. more and we have to remember something there's only one thing that can bring about salvation the law was only to point you to that one thing and that is christ well there are actually three new testament purposes for the law right. okay so romans chapter 7 it uh, points out sin. It exposes sin. That's mm-hmm. Romans 7. I didn't know that coveting was a sin until the law came along and showed me what it was. Yes. It actually serves to point it out and increase it, actually, mm-hmm. so that you will see that, that you've got a heart problem. It exposes what's wrong inside of you, so that's one purpose of the law. The second purpose of the law is in the book of Galatians, and that is to restrain sin. Mm. Okay, so it says that the law was given. Paul talks about in Galatians to the, to Israel in order to keep them from going off the rails, so to speak, right. until the Messiah came. So it has a certain restraining effect on sin. Mm. Then you have in Romans, if you will, Romans thirteen, if we use that, it's um, to reward that the good and to punish the evil. Mm. There we have you know in the executing of the law. So those are the only three things that we have in the New Testament for for the law. The law doesn't change hearts. The law only exposes hearts. Mm. The law cannot correct behavior, bad behavior. It can can restrain it, Um. but it can't change it. And and then finally, the law serves to to illustrate to the world, this is what is good and this is what is evil. We're going to punish evil. We're going to reward good. No other thing can the law do that. So what do we do? Is, Is it going to change anything if we say, okay, uh, if we find out that you killed that person because they're black, now we're really going to come after you. Uh-huh. The person's just as dead. Yeah, that you deserve the same. The person who kills a white person or a black person deserves the same thing if they commit first degree murder. Yes. They deserve death. Yes, that's what they deserve. Mm-hmm. You don't kill them and then resurrect them and kill them again because it was a different ethnicity. Right. They deserve death. And if. Bottom line, period. That's it at the end of the story. So if you have your laws, if you make a law that says if you kill someone and you pre- have premeditated murder or if what or whatever it may be, um, then you're going to get the death penalty. You're not going to make it any... What, what difference does it make? What law can you make that the person goes, well, I'm not going to kill a person because of their ethnicity, right. because then I'm really going to die. Right. Let's just, this is just silliness yeah. uh, that we're dealing with this. The law can't accomplish that. It can't change the heart. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that leads me to this uh, one question. If the blood of Christ is not sufficient to reconcile us to one another, then what is? Well, according to Ephesians 2, nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. Because Ephesians 2 takes the two the two greatest divisions in the world were Jew and Gentile. Yes. And it was perfectly illustrated by the temple with the dividing wall that said if the Gentiles cross this, you die. Mm. Then you had, neither had access to God uh, because you had the veil that separated. Christ comes, he brings Jew and Gentile together, then he uh, rends the veil so that we could actually all go as one new man. Man. 
It says there in Ephesians 2, one new man, and there he's talking about a whole new creation, a whole new community, because mm. uh, that's how he uses new man there in Ephesians chapter 2. Well, that makes us one in Christ. There is now, that's what it means to therefore no longer be Jew nor Gentile, mm. uh, because we are one in Christ. The blood of Christ, if you will, not to be corny, makes us all the same color which is the color of the blood of Christ, red. And if I view that way, if I view others that way, consistently and regularly and treat them with no partiality and not with any prejudice, um, we we are going to have unity, and we're going to have unity in the church. Tom, I want to ask you this. Um, We know that we live in a broken world. And we're going to see injustice until the day Jesus returns, right? Um, so do we just expect injustice and live with it? Or how can we be proactive while remaining faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think one way is we are, we need to do, as the old Presbyterian model was, was to we need to be raising up men and women in the church to go into the world as doctors and lawyers and, and, mm. and nurses and 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 garbage collectors and you know checkout cashiers and so forth in every walk of life yeah. we need to be discipling people and sending them out in this world to make a change we affect the culture that way politicians as well we need to have christians in, pol- in, in, in as politicians um so i think first first of all i would say that we need to be affecting our world that way and as we do i think we give ourselves the platform to uh, address injustices change policies that need to be changed, whether oh. in the workplace or, or in our government. Secondly, I think that we we do that through the means by which God has given us. Uh, we use our vote to do that. Mm. Uh, we go and we vote for men uh, and women who are, uh, that we know, that we have the greatest reason to trust that they're going to carry out biblical uh, justice, even if they even maybe if they aren't Christians, they have a Judeo-Christian worldview perhaps, or they understand justice to some degree or another. So I, I think that we do that. I think that when things happen like with George Floyd, we do. We speak out as God gives us the ability to say that was not right, that's unjust, and unjust. And here's exactly how Scripture speaks to that. Yeah. Uh, it is the responsibility of the government to protect its citizens, mm. uh, not take the lives of its citizens un- unnecessarily or yes. cavalierly. Right. Um, so I think we should be heavily involved. Uh, you know, we call our senators. We, um, you know, um, I regularly call and talk to our state senators, our um, and our Congress here in this state of Texas about issues when I have concerns. I speak up. I. I want to use whatever voice the Lord gives me to speak out about those things. That's good. Well, Tom, it's been an amazing time uh, getting to talk to you about these certain things. I want to ask you one last thing, Mm -hmm. kind of leave it with hope, if you will. Um, What would you like to encourage our audience with when it comes to their future involvement of the gospel work that may encounter the reality of cultural pressure? What, What would you encourage them with? Well, I would encourage them to be involved in a church that you can clearly tell is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and impacting the community in a way that is going about changing lives through the power of the gospel and changing hearts. I, I think that if you're in a church that is uh, focusing on um, changing the culture 
uh, either primarily or even uh, along with uh, either over and beyond the gospel or primarily with um, uh, social justice means of trying to create, you know, trying to work it through the systems of the culture, so to speak. Right. We're going to be political activists. Is probably if that's if political activism is what your church is about. I, I encourage you to go elsewhere. I really do. Um, um, I mean, I certainly encourage you to talk to your pastors, but I would ask them what they're reading, and I guarantee you the things they're reading, like white fragility or divided by faith or woke church or color of compromise, or the list could go on and on, right. uh, be the bridge, th- th- that are filled with, in my understanding, um, um, ide- ideology that is, that is more neo-Marxist than it is biblical. Uh, and critical race theory, intersectionality, more than biblical, for sure. Uh, I, I think you're just probably going to need to move on uh, and find a church that just preaches the Word of God. Now, you don't want to find one that doesn't apply what it preaches right, and ignores right. what's going on in the culture, right. but but that's something you need to do. Um, I think we've got to become... I would encourage you to turn off uh, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC as your main source of of how you're viewing your world. That's good. Um, I think we need to be informed. I watch those things. I watch, you know, things too. But I'll tell you, I don't. nothing depresses me more than watching every night uh, the news mm. um, because they're selling you something. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be around other Christians where iron sharpens iron. Mm. You need to be challenging one another to think biblically. Um, and you need to be immersing yourself in the Word of God and realizing that um, um, at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to change this is when Christ returns. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, things are going to, I believe, get worse before they get better sure. when he returns. Sure. Um, and therefore, look at, you know, I have to constantly remind myself when things look really bad, say, Maranatha, Lord, you're come quickly. Amen. You're coming soon. Amen. Um, I want to be responsible, a steward of what I have been given, but I also cannot allow myself to get depressed and overwhelmed. So just immerse yourself in, in, in the hope of God's kingdom. Yeah. Tom, that was really good, and we really appreciate that, brother. And if you want to follow Tom on Twitter, uh, he gives out quite a bit of good information. Uh, you've got to get through some of the things that – some of the jokes that he has. But uh, we are so appreciative of this time we got to spend with you, Tom. We thank you for uh, your faithfulness to shepherding the bride of Christ. Uh, we thank, for, thank you for your faithfulness to the, the inerrancy of the Word of God. And so uh, we just want to thank you, brother. Well, I thank you guys for spending time with me tonight. So it's been great. All right. Well, uh, we want to thank you for joining our podcast, and uh, we want to encourage you to seek out biblical um, information that uh, would encourage you. We've uh, alluded to Just Thinking Podcast. Uh, There are brothers there. The Founders Ministry is a great ministry to uh, go and find great resources, um, including this statement, the statement on the social justice and the gospel. And so uh, we want to uh, continue to pray for you and and encourage you to do those things. And you can always reach us at truthsexplained at gmail.com if you have any questions or uh, concerns. And uh, we look forward to that. So uh, as always, so Deo Gloria.